I'm looking at Judas. And today is Palm Sunday. And you can imagine all the excitement of Palm Sunday, but for the disciples, as they're walking in, they're aware things aren't as they should be. They've seen Jesus looking on to Jerusalem. They've seen Jesus looking just with tears looking at Jerusalem. And they're just wondering what's going on. In the West Wing, which I watch every now and then, quite regularly actually, just uh, is my escape. We're going through it again. But there's a moment where Josh, one of the characters, goes to the president and says, we're talking about enemies much more than we used to, Mr. President. And the president says, what? He said, we're talking about enemies much more. We, we used to talk about what we were going to do, but we seem to talk much more about enemies now. And actually, the interesting thing with the disciples is they could have said, Jesus, we seem to be talking much more about death recently. You seem to be talking about dying an awful lot. You know, every conversation seems to lead to you dying. You know, it, it seems to be the ongoing conversation. And as they're kind of coming into Jerusalem, there's this thought, Jesus seems to talk a lot about death at the moment. They know something is happening. They know something is coming to an end. And when we look at Judas, you need to look at Judas in the context that he's aware something's happening. Something is coming to an end. Let me read you this. Some of you would have heard this before, but um, the one good thing about Facebook is every now and then it brings back an old memory. And this is something I put out in 2017, and it was a newspaper cutting we found about my grandfather when we were clearing out my parents' house. And it says this, Mr. Thomas G. Davis, for Green Meadows Terrace, Langina, who died aged 87, was one of the Gower Valley's outstanding and best-known Christian personalities. He wouldn't have said that himself. He was too humble and self-effacing. He preferred talking about his faith rather than about himself. But others have been saying it, not only in the chapels in the valley, but also in the clubs and pubs. Many Gower miners have been recalling the tremendous respect and admiration they had when they worked alongside him. And then right at the end, it says of this, of Mr. Tom Davis, it could be truly said, he lived his faith in such a way that other men found it easier to believe in God. What more could any man say? And I kind of found that and was thinking, that's why Thomas in our family is like the family name. So my dad is Thomas Allen Davis, and then my nephew is Thomas, and our Jacob is Jacob Thomas Davis. It's like, it's got, it's the name means something. Do you know what? The name Judas was actually honor on, a name of great honor. And so he was a hero in Israel, Judases of the past. And actually, the meaning of Judas is let God be praised. But if I was to say to you, Judas, what would you think? Betrayer? Traitor? In fact, Judas in our society is kind of like a put-down. You know, if you go to a football match and there's two teams and one player used to play for one team is now playing for the other team, you'll hear the crowd shouting, Judas! If someone's a traitor, they're called Judas! It's a name of terrible. However, interestingly, last year, there were more Judases born in Britain than Gary's. 
I am just this is this is for that. How unpopular must the name Gary be? That no one was born Gary, but there were a few Judases born. It's like you know, I find that just an interesting statistic. So Judas. He was. There were lots of Judases. There's Jude in the Bible. There's lots of Judases. And then, when you look at Judas, this let God be praised. We have, in, when we come across him in the New Testament, it's Judas the Iscariot. Iscariot. Sounds like a rascal type name. A kind of, oh, this must be the thing that says he's a nasty being. Well, the reality is, if you actually look at the Greek and the Hebrew, Iscariot literally means man of Kiroth, a town in Judah. So Simon, his, bro- his dad, was Simon the Iscariot, and Judas was Judas the Iscariot. Now the interesting thing of that is this. He was the only disciple who wasn't a Galilean. So he was an outsider. Now, you can't read too much into it, but just notice that the Galileans and then there's Judas the Iscariot. <laughs> now, some people tried to say that actually the Iscariot could mean dagger man. And that actually this is because he was part of a secret assassination group that was looking to see the overthrow of Rome and that he had joined with Jesus. And some of you will have heard maybe heard that, because I'd heard it before, that this was a thing. There is absolutely no evidence of it. In fact, the only way you can make Iscariot fit that is by coming to the conclusion beforehand that this is what Judas was, and then working backwards to try and make the name fit it. There's no evidence in Scripture, there's no evidence outside of Scripture. In fact, that group were hardly functioning in the time of Jesus. They were functioning before and they were functioning after, but during that period, there was very little action from them. So that cannot be part of who Judas was. So let's read a few verses of Judas in the New Testament. In Matthew 26, we read this from verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, he went to the home of a man known as Simon the leper. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and he was recli- as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why that waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have, but you will not always have me. When she poured the perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas the Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They counted out 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Verse 47, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, 
Sorry. Well, one of the twelve arrived with him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision <coughs> to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Jesus, Judas, who had been betrayed, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is it that... What? And they answered, what is that to us? It's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. It's a really tragic story when we look at the life of Judas. It's a really poignant story and there's a lot of mystery in it. But there are certain things we can pick up about Judas. Firstly, he made a commitment to Jesus. He made a commitment to follow Jesus. Him and the other 12. We don't know about anything about his calling. There's nothing in scripture about the calling of Judas. There's the talk on Simon, the talk on Matthew, how they were called. But Judas, like Philip and some others, just come in. They're just there on the list. Judas often mentioned as the one, with, one that is the devil. But they kind of make it onto the list. And what you see is that Judas has walked with Jesus for three and a half years, as all the other disciples did. He would have seen the healing. He would have seen, he would have been given authority to go out and cast out demons. He would have been given authority to go and heal the sick. He went out. He was a preacher of the gospel. He went and did things. What you see straight away in Judas is this. You can't tell a person's character by their gifting. Just because he was gifted did not mean he was godly character. He was given the most remarkable opportunity by Jesus. As I said, he walked close and personal to Jesus for three and a half years. He would have seen the feeding of the 5,000. He would have been there breaking the bread, breaking the fish. He would have been there when Lazarus came back from death to life. He would have been there when the water turned into wine. He was around. He would have heard the incredible teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He was there. And yet, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He was there. He saw it. He was in the most perfect faith environment to learn about the things of God. He was there in the perfect environment to learn and to see and to observe and to know the things of God. But in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 it says this, the human heart is beyond our understanding. It's beyond our understanding how Judas could be with Jesus for all that time and not get it. How he could see and be and understand and not get it. And do you know what? There's huge encouragement for us. Especially if you're parents, especially if you're leaders, especially if you're friends, in any church setting. It's this. 
we are always grieved when someone walks away from faith. It always affects us. And what often happens is we start to blame ourselves. Oh, if we had done this, maybe they wouldn't have gone away. If this had happened, this would have gone away. I've spent ages with parents of children who have walked away. Oh, we should have done this better. We should have done this better. Church leaders who have, oh, these people have left the church. Oh, I should have done this, should have done this. Blaming ourselves. Saying, where did we go wrong? What could we have done better? Why do we fail in our teaching? Judas was with Jesus for three and a half years. He was in the perfect faith environment that has ever been created. He was there with the one who could change the weather. He was there with the one who walked on water. He was there with the one who could teach and explain all things of creation. And yet he betrays him. He walks away. He walks away. So we cannot be responsible for people's hearts. That's in the hands of God. And so when we start seeing the first signs of trouble with Judas, well, as I said, Judas was one of the 12 disciples, the closest companions. There's no specific calling, and often he does appear on the list as a devil. Kind of like, and one of them is a devil. Even Jesus says, one of you is a devil. <laughs> now what's interesting, when you look at the prophetic, is you see that there always was the prophetic that one of Jesus' disciples would betray him. It's there. It's there in scripture. So, the sat- so Satan is looking at the disciples and looking for one to pick out. It's interesting when Jesus turns to Peter and says, Satan's asked to sieve you, but I will pray for you. Was Satan actually saying, could I use Peter? Could Peter be the one that betrays you? But Judas opens himself up. We read that he was the one in charge of finance. He was the one who had the money. He was the one who took the money, collected the money, walked with the money. Right? So don't worry about it. Now, the interesting thing is, (coughs) I kind of look at that and think, the logical person to do that should be Matthew, surely. He was the tax collector. He's got all the skills. But do you know why he's not? Because they don't trust him. They don't trust Matthew because he was the tax collector and he made their life miserable. (laughs) So they don't actually trust him. So he hasn't got that job. So it's given to Judas, which means they did trust him. It means they didn't recognise that he was stealing the money. They didn't see what he was doing. He's there, taking the money, and as I said, that scene where suddenly Judas is protesting and the other disciples, this perfume, don't do this, we could have sold that and given the money to the poor. Judas is also thinking, and I could have had some of that. We see he was a thief. Now, The interesting thing about hidden sin is this. I'll go into it a bit more in a minute, but I just wonder whether sometimes Judas, who was taking the money, and Jesus knew, was waiting for Jesus to say, you're taking the money. I've been with people who have been in sin, been with someone who was having an affair, and when it came out and they said, but nobody ever prophesied over me that I was having an affair, 
so I thought it was okay. You sit there and say, no, you are sinning. And actually what they said, and this was this, well, I was expecting if God is God, he would have pointed it out to me. Now, could there be in Judas an element of, I'm nicking the money? Will Jesus suddenly say, stop it? Is this a testing of Jesus? Is this a testing to say, do you really know what's going on? But Jesus did, but never tested him. And then we come to the moment where Jesus betrays him. And we go to the upper room. And there's a moment in the upper room that I absolutely love. And it's when Jesus turns to the disciples and says, one of you is going to betray me. And do you know what they do? All of them think it's them. All of them say, is it me? And the only way to describe it is like if you're driving down the motorway and you see a, car, a police car coming along with the blue flashing lights, you instantly think, oh no, what have I done? What have I done? And that moment of relief when it goes shooting past you and you think, yes, foot down. There's no, 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 no. And it's just like, oh, yes, it's sorted. And you suddenly get this moment where Jesus turns in the upper room and says, one of you is going to betray me. And all of them think, it's me. It's me. <laughs> is it me? So when then Jesus says, the one who I give this bread to, it is, and takes the bread, puts it in the wine and gives it to Judas and says, go and do what you need to do. The first reaction of the disciples as Judas gets up and walks out wouldn't have been shock and horror, oh no, he's betraying him. It's one of few. It's not me. Which makes you realise this is just shocking. All of them are thinking, I could, that could have been me. I could have done that. But what you start seeing in Judas is this. He's double-minded. He's allowed money to become the thing that he's most interested in. He's taking the money from the, from the, from the, the, the poor. He's offended at what Jesus does. And it's fascinating, offence... And how we respond to offence is whether you open up a door of sin or you close a door to sin. He was starting to be double-minded and we know scripture teaches very hard, very clear, you cannot serve two masters. And the master of Jesus is there in front of him and he's starting to think, do you know what, I quite like this money. On top of that, he's starting to think, this isn't going too well. We talk about death a lot these days. I can see it's coming to an end. And so even in that is Judas thinking, I need an exit strategy here and I could make some money out of it. Suddenly money has become a major issue. You know, I said to Liz recently, I said, I hate the fact we have to talk about money so much. <laughs> you know, because suddenly in the especially present situation, money can dominate. Money can cause more arguments and it can bring peace. <laughs> and actually, what is remarkable is I think we've just got to be open and not ever allow it to dominate and to shape us and to mould us and have to be vulnerable in that. I know sometimes you can, I can think, oh, oh we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, and just got to be open and say, no, I've just got to be open. What's ours is yours. <laughs> we've got that, we don't serve money. I don't do this just for money, I do it because God's called me into this. You can't, can't just do stuff for money. And actually, you see that 
we just start to see that actually he started, Judah started to take the money. It started to shape him. And then he was offended at the way Jesus treated money. So when he watches that perfume poured all over Jesus, he's thinking, this is offensive. I'm offended. How often are we offended? I can look at social media and I can tell how offended people get very, very regularly. We can offend. How often have you heard people who have left churches because they were offended? I remember my grandpa walking me down the Gower Valley. As we walked down the valley, he'd say, that church existed because they didn't like the polish that that church used. He said, it's daft. But offence causes splits. And Jesus offends. The message of Jesus offends. The actions of Jesus offends. And Judas was offended. He was offended at what Jesus did. And that offence opened the door for Satan to come in. That was the moment of vulnerability. That was the moment of, oh, I don't like what he's doing. I don't like it. Suddenly, well, let's do something about it then. And so we see Judas goes, takes the money, betrays Jesus, and betrays Jesus in the most intimate way possible by walking, embracing him, and kissing him, and handing him over. The thing, of course, is Judas didn't realise where this was going to end. You know, some people wonder, was Judas just thinking, hey, this might kick Jesus into action. This might actually make him come into what the kingdom we want him to be. Was he offended by the constant talk of the kingdom? The kingdom of God's going to be like a mustard seed buried deep in the ground. He's thinking, I don't want a little thing. I want a big thing. I need big pockets. I want to be a treasurer to a big kingdom. (laughs) Is he looking like that? And he's hearing it's going to be small. He's going to think, oh. And then he hears they're going to kill Jesus. And at that, the remorse hits him. The remorse of what he has done hits him. Now, at this point, there are some very strange writings out there. As I said, there's a lot of stuff about Judas that makes that is actually irre- isn't mentioned in Scripture at all. One of them is a, a book called the Book of Nicodemus, and you'll understand when you hear this why it's not in the canon of Scripture. Because in the Book of Nicodemus, it says that Judas, now remorseful of what has happened, goes home to get himself a rope to hang himself and he walks into the kitchen where his wife is and she's roasting a chicken. And he walks in and he goes to tell his wife, I am going to go and kill myself because I know Jesus will come back to life and I will be in trouble. And his wife responds by saying, there's more chance of this chicken coming to life than you, than Jesus coming back to life. At which point the chicken came back to life and crowed and Judas went outside and hung himself. We're having roast chicken today. I'm not going to ask for it to come back to life. But actually, you read that story and you realise, I understand why that's not in scripture. Because it's not there. Because actually what happens is Judas sees what's happening and in despair takes the money. Now there's two, inter- two versions of his death. One is in Matthew, one is in Acts. In Matthew... You've got Matthew writing it and you get that he 
in remorse, throws the money back into the temple and then goes and hangs himself. And then the money is used to buy a field to bury him in. In Acts, it says, in Acts, you've got Luke writing it, who's a doctor, so it's a little bit more graphic. You have him falling and his guts pouring out and blood everywhere on a field that he had bought. You say, oh, it contradicts. Actually, it doesn't contradict. In Hebrew thought, it's very clear. The money was Judas's. Whether he bought the field or whether the Pharisees bought the field for him, it was with Judas's money. The money was his. It was his land because it was his money. And so what you see, though, is you have this tragic death. And dare I say this? Judas ends up dead before Jesus. But what can we learn from this? It's very prophetic. Judas's life story is a tragic one, but it points to God in a powerful way. There are multiple prophecies, hundreds of years before Judas's birth, predicting his betrayal. Zechariah predicted Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalms 41 verse 9 predicted that Jesus, a betrayer, would share his blood, which Jesus directly refers to in John 13 verse 8 and then acted out when he gave the bread to to Judas. God knew what was going to happen. So you could say, so did Judas have any choice? Yes, Judas had choice. The enemy was looking for one of the disciples. Didn't necessarily have to be Judas. But Judas opened the door to Satan. He voluntarily opened the door to let Satan in. So I want to conclude with just these thoughts. Firstly, the danger of taking offence. Judas was offended by the perfume, by the use of money, and offended at how Jesus responded. It's so easy to offend. It's so easy to be offended. When you are offended, don't let it linger and fester. Deal with it. If Jesus had said there and then, Jesus, this is really offensive, Jesus probably would have taught him more. But he didn't, he acted on it. He allowed it to open up. The other thing is hidden sin. He had hidden sin. He was stealing the money. None of the other disciples noticed it. None of the other disciples recognized it. None None of them thought he was the betrayer. But he was doing that. Hidden sin was there. And I always think back of the story of Achan in Ai, when the, in the promised land, you've got the people of God, they've just come into the promised land, they've had success at Jericho, and then they've gone to Ai and they've, got, they've been defeated. And in it, suddenly it comes, there's sin in the camp. And when they look, they find Achan has stolen something. And you've got some of the saddest words in the Bible, where it goes, he, he saw, he, he took it, and then he hid it. And the thing about about Achan is this at night he would sneak over to his tent lift up the corner and see the things that he'd stolen do you know what this is the trouble as Christians we can't even enjoy the sin we're in because you can't turn up and say guys you've seen what I got up to last night we just can't do that so it hides it and Judas hid his sin and there in the darkness Satan could control him if you've got sin bring it into the open Bring it into the light. Get it dealt with. 
Satan may have thought he was thwarting God's plans through Judas. But actually Judas' name, let God be praised, says he didn't. See, the other thing I just want to end with this. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the start and he's the end. And Judas may have been thinking a season is coming to an end. I can feel it coming to an end. We're talking death much more. I can feel the enemies coming along. I, I can sense the end is coming. I've got to do something about it. But actually, because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the start and the end are both holy. And so, actually, in life, we sometimes get very excited at the start of something, start of a new church, start of a new life, start of a new salvation. All right, the Alpha, let's start it. But the ending is just as holy. And for Jesus, there is a season coming to an end in this story. And this is the season that's coming to an end is his human form on earth. That's coming to an end. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega. There's Christmas, there's Easter. Both are as holy as each other. For the disciples who think, oh, it's coming to an end, they didn't realize that Jesus really is the Alpha and Omega, his creation and the end. <laughs> but in it, there's holy moments. Judas panicked. We need to be confident. Even when seasons come to an end, things happen, Jesus is still in charge. He's the one ending it. He's the one starting it. And so for Judas, at the end, he's remembered as the traitor. But I think this Easter, I want to remember, let God be praised. That actually you look at it and realise, by the grace of God, all the other disciples were thinking, by the grace of God, let God be praised. Because of his actions, Jesus ended up going to the cross because of his actions, Jesus was always going to go to the cross and die for our sins. Take the wrath of God so that we can always say, let God be praised. So I think when you look at Judas, there's so much you could see, so much you could study. I found it fascinating looking at him. One of the questions people say, did, Jesus, did Judas end up in heaven or hell? Do you know what? What's lovely is beyond my pay grade. It's not a question I can answer. Peter seems to imply he's in hell. Jesus implies he might not be. What we do know is God will be God and the right decision will have been made. But actually, this sad, sad story is a man who didn't get it. A man who missed the perfect opportunity to see all the kingdom ahead of him. The man who could have been known as a disciple who saw great things. Blew it. Because he allowed sin into the camp. Can we stand please? Mm. Father, when we look at Judas, we think of those, all those other disciples thinking, are they the one who's going to deny you? Are they the ones who are going to betray you? Lord, and yet when Judas went, there was a sense of relief. It wasn't them. Lord, 
I pray, God, you would help us not to be offended and not to carry offense in our heart. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's, who carries offense. Lord, I pray, God, you just heal us. Let it be gone. And Lord, anyone who suddenly thinks, oh, I've, I've, I've offended in the past. Lord, if they've done nothing wrong, let them not feel the guilt of that. It's easy to offend. And Lord, we just bring ourselves to you and say, God, let you be God. Will you please let your name be praised in this place, in your name. Amen.